would you like to know? Well, you should listen. Zoom. Cron. Week in review. Listen closely. Zoom. Cron. It's gonna help you. Then think for yourself. What the hell happens? I'm gonna tell you. From my in perspective. The Zoom Cron. In the Zoom Cron. Week, Week in, in review. review. Right now. Here's an independent journalist. Travis William Skink Matier. Okay, welcome to Zoomcron. This is your week in review. I'm your host, Travis William Skink Matier. I'm an independent journalist here in Missoula, Montana. Um, this is the second recording because the first one I screwed up, but that's why you listen to podcasts, right? For that that natural feel. Joining me to help provide that natural feel is uh, victim's advocate and author, Allie Harrison. Say hello. Hi. We've been having a lot of fun the last couple of weeks getting the podcast going. I used to do this podcast thing um, with a, a different co-host, Tim. I, I wonder if Tim listens, and I, I hope he does, because um, he had a great conservative perspective. I came from the liberal progressive world. Allie, you kind of had a conservative perspective back when you were more politically involved in the college days as an ASUM person, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm all over the map. So you're, you're giving me that look like, where's he going with this? We're supposed to be talking about the blog posts. We've already had some topics written down ahead of time. And somehow I'm bringing up college days. You know, I, I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, maybe I'm just avoiding having to get into the first article, which isn't anything too controversial. It's not? No, it's about a, a taco restaurant that's no longer a taco restaurant. Oh. I'm, that's a genuine surprise. Well, it, it, I didn't really frame it that way in the blog. So if you want to go to www.zoomcron, that's Z-O-O-M-C-H-R-O-N.com, um, that's where I post five articles a week about local stuff. But I have a strong, strong belief that the local stuff here in Missoula, Montana, which is Zoomtown, has actual relevance beyond our humble little valley. And we're going to get into some of that stuff with our county attorney later in, in, the, in the episode. But the taco joint, it was a Taco John's. Yeah. Do you like Taco John's? My brother actually, I think, worked in one of the Taco John's when he, oh, was, really? when he, when he lived here in Missoula briefly. I'll have to confirm that. I don't want to put out misinformation. I want to be responsible as an independent journalist. But yeah, I'm pretty sure he worked at one of the taco places. Did you ever eat there? Not at the one on West Broadway, but I did take a particular notice when it went empty, and then there were some some flyers. Um, Dr. Kana, this amazing person apparently, had this this um, returning youth initiative, and I started. I seeing thought you were going to say something else. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I paused. I had to re recall the name of this of this fun organization because um, it's it's been really actually fascinating. I started writing about this organization back last June when I saw the um, flyers initially pop up. Now I'm, I'm more curious than ever. You didn't get to join me on, on Saturday during the free coat giveaway, but the title of the article is Who is Handing Out Free Coats at an Empty Taco John's in Missoula, 
and why. All right. Well, um, the plot actually thickens a bit after this posted, but um, generally speaking, what we have here is a organization that claims to have satellites in all 50 states around the country. And so already we're beyond Missoula. We are in 50 states. And according to the, the card I got from Carrie Anderson, um, we are in, let's see, 3,142 counties and says that on the business card. Um, so Carrie Anderson is the Montana state manager. Um, they're based in Hamilton, Montana, and I've uh, talked to Carrie previously on the phone. I actually got to meet Carrie. We were giving donations to a, a local nonprofit, and I was just helping out. Mm-hmm. You felt bad later because you're like, oh, man, I didn't know that you were going to run into some kind sure. of shenanigans. But everywhere I go in this town, apparently shenanigans can happen. So there I was trying to mind my own business, um, trying to actually have a hood over my head and be, be sort of under the radar. Mind your own business? You know, I have ears, Allie, and the problem with my ears yeah. is they, they still hear. Earmuffs. They listen. I, if I covered my ears, I would start looking like one of the clients of that nonprofit organization. I did not want to appear as such. But so Carrie comes in, and that's where I found out there was going to be free coats given out the following Saturday, so the next day, 10 a.m., at the Taco John's. Nice. I follow Carrie out, not in a threatening manner. I follow her out to her yeah, car. Yeah, that sounded pretty sketchy when it, you said that. Yeah, no, I know. I, it did sound sketchy. But um, I, I approached Carrie, and I talked to her because I said, hey, I'm a journalist. I think I talked to you previously. And she was like, yeah. Apparently didn't read the article. Somewhat critical. Um, but uh, I asked her about the Taco John's, and she told me there was problems with the building. That is why nothing ever went in there. So I, I had I that. I believe it. I had that in mind, problems with the building, entirely possible as a reason. But what I did is I went there on, on Saturday at 10 a.m., and there was the actual person that started this chapter of the organization, uh, Carrie's daughter. I forget her name off the top of my head, but it was her, another uh, young woman, and I think the son. This is another family affair organization, apparently. They were indeed handing out coats. There was coffee. There were muffins. I had some coffee and a muffin and a chat. I had a little chat. Ended up talking more about some of the homeless stories that I was looking into, but I did get a different story about why the doors never opened. There was a, a organization that was, a, that was going to open up. It was like a bistro. But the person, the other investor, I'm making the air quotes, investor, backed out. And so that's why it never happened. Oh. All right. So did, did some people get some coats? Yeah, there, were, there was a couple older folks getting some coats. But what Dr. Khanna does, from my understanding, is help, again, the air quotes, help people start their own business, takes a percentage. It starts acting kind of or starts feeling a little weird when you start looking into some of the details. Um, there was a, a eye vision testing center in Hamilton that opened up through this organization it has since closed, from my understanding. I, I, I talked to a person on background, um, part, of a, part of an organization in the Bitterroot, and so I got some perspective. And yeah, this, this Eye Vision Center closed after opening. I mean, closed a few months, a few months after opening, apparently. So um, it's interesting that this Taco John's was going to be a bistro, was going to be one of these businesses with a person that this Dr. Kana was propping up. Did not happen. So sad. So something else is going to have to move into that that empty storefront. Interesting. 
So why I find that story interesting is because Taco John's was the landscape of the homicide trial that we witnessed earlier this year. Yes, indeed. And so that took on special significance when you mentioned to me that they were doing this drive at that Taco John's. So it just happened to be at a place that we become pretty familiar with. That's what I call synchronicity. Uh, interesting coincidence that then becomes meaningful, especially if you follow up on it. Um, and then I just wanted to read a, a comment really quickly that was on one of the, the first posts I wrote about this organization back in June. I have a recent comment. This is from Concerned Citizen is the name of the, the commenter. And here is the comment. Totally bogus claims. Scam artist was in Philadelphia before this with Ponzi scheme. Check out Bard Holdings. Don't trust them around young women. What is this referring to? So this is a comment on the uh, post that I, I wrote back in June. And so check, check this out, Allie. This is Dr. Surajit Khanna. That's a picture of him. This is a podcast, and so unfortunately you can't see the image. But uh, he looks to be a sort of like, you know, Pakistani descent. Um, they, uh, this is, so this is from my post in June. This nonprofit, which is headquartered in Brooklyn, New York, makes all sorts of claims about providing great opportunities and services. But the person I spoke with on the phone acknowledged some important things that make me question what's going on here. First, the Returning Youth Initiative is currently collaborate, collaborating with a grand total of zero other agencies in Montana. Oh, yeah, that's right. I asked the, the, the young woman there, I can't remember her name, about other organizations that they were collaborating with. And she said they had strategic alliances, which is what I interpreted to be bullshit. Um, they, they don't. Um, let's see. And for helping create local businesses, this New York-based organization retains partial ownership. Also, the notion of youth is a little misleading since those eligible for this help must be 18 to 30 years old. Um, and then I have uh, some pictures of some of the some more of these the jokers that are part of this organization. I, I go to the website and you see these other companies that are that are basically just spinoffs that have the same people on the, on the boards of them. I mean, it just it gets very weird. There's something called Celestial Holdings and Mars Trading um, that I started looking into. But it, it's really bizarre when you have what seem like well-intentioned uh, local people. Um, I. I <laughs> How do I say this without sounding like a dick? I didn't get the sense of like the largest IQ coming from Carrie. And so it's kind of like a person that might be easy to dupe and maybe think that um, they really are going to help people. You get a little bit of money thrown at them. They're, they're easy to sort of maybe pull some strings. But um, so far, this organization, despite a bunch of flyers going up, I don't think they've really helped many people at all that I'm aware of. There's some businesses still in the Bitterroot that are associated with this organization, but um, I think it's it stinks. There's something that smells here. But it's hard to say. So, so tell me what your suspicions are. So just on a broader context, not necessarily as applied specifically to this organization, but people could be listening and saying, well, what's wrong with giving away coats and muffins and helping people? They're, they're looking for, they're looking for a, a poster child not a child, but they're looking for a poster person um, to Who's represent they? their organization, this Dr. Kana okay. group. Which, and which so, is an out-of-state entity, per individual who runs an organization 
whose roots are out of this state. I was told it was a nonprofit. They are registered as a business with the Secretary of State. Okay. So whether it's a nonprofit, it's not a nonprofit. So you're seeing some discrepancies. I'm just trying to tease it out a little bit. Yeah, because absolutely. There would be potentially some people, myself included, right, who's like, what's wrong with passing out coats? I like passing out coats. You know. So what's wrong with um, Marvel Vision? Marvel Vision is the company that was open and then closed um, very quickly. What? Why? I would be interested in talking to the the investor, quote unquote, that was lured away from another eye center, um, according to a source. So you're looking um, at longevity. I'm I'm interested in the the actual claims that are being made. So in the in the post I mentioned Glacier Hope Homes. There's sure. a an organization. Um, this is years ago that I started sniffing out back when I was working at the Pavarello Center and then afterwards at the at Missoula Aging Services, um, I wasn't um, looking into this into this organization in my capacity from those organizations, but um, on my own time, I was trying to figure out if this um, organization making these claims through an article in NBC Montana, whether whether or not it was true, and and this claim of helping veterans turn out to not be accurate. And now what, what ends up happening is these outfits move locations, they move places. So just the fact this organization was in 50 states allegedly was was weird um raised a red flag for me and so, so everything everything about this organization makes me wonder what's actually going on one thing that you're really good at is discerning things that differ so you can spot the anomaly you're very good at that and oh, so thank you yeah no but it's actually a, a huge lost skill set because most of society, because we're oversaturated with too much news, too much everything, pretty much takes at face value whatever we're presented. But you have a really keen eye for discerning things that differ. And because of that, it's actually a helpful tool. So you're not just trying to like find the flaw in something to say, ha, there's a flaw. It's actually to help it. And well, so at I, some point, I'd love to talk more about some of the specific issues with... Um, the whole range of personality disorders, you know, you and I are both interested in the sociopath, psychopath, predator mindset. <laughs> as um, a study tool, not as... <laughs> we're, no, we're, we're interested in that, in that sort of, um, that character trait um, on a lot of different levels. I, I hear a lot of the people that I'm listening to on podcasts having some of these same conversations. And so my discernment was really honed by working at the shelter and seeing people that claimed good intentions but had sometimes ulterior motives. Mm -hmm. um, and I was really green when I first started, so I, I did not, ha I think, have that ability to start um, questioning what I was seeing. But um, th these local articles, people don't understand that local media, even though it's really kind of like these articles can be boring and short and not a lot of information – um, if you're looking critically, you can mm -hmm. you can see some really interesting things, what you call discrepancies or just, you know, stuff that doesn't necessarily make sense or, or you know, if you have a gut check on something, there's usually something there. Yeah. And there is this idea of lost innocence for those who've worked within the system, because on the outside, it's I, I remember this even from high school. And I've I have always been a very patriotic person. I 100% yay for the red, white, and blue. And I bleed red, white, and blue. My, how that expresses itself in my world has become a lot more nuanced. Uh, the further I get into exploring our government and our criminal justice system, for example, 
I have a deeper love than I ever did before. Still love, but deeper. And sometimes it's it's a love that fights for despite all of the um, all of the the feelings, right? So you you like democracy, like the participatory democracy that we that we have um, in local municipalities. You you enjoy that process. I do enjoy democracy. I still think it's the best system. Do you think Do you think our local officials enjoyed the democracy on display on Monday at City Council? <laughs> I think. Oh, I have so much to say about that. Hmm. I think, and and part of that is enjoying democracy because of the institutions that exist in in a way that hold hold those institutions together not the institution but the ability to speak freely together so it's it's an interesting contrast there's a tension that lies within the ability to speak freely hmm within certain boundaries that protects everyone's rights so with with boundaries in mind you did send me um after my attempt to make public comment what you what you sent me was very helpful. Um, of course, it was after the fact. So what I'm going to do is read what you sent me before the fact, before um, the audience listens right. to my attempts to make public comment. We ourselves are not going to listen to that. We pre-recorded the clip. Okay. And so what we're going to do, I'm going to hit pause, and then I'm going to move that little clip forward. That sounds good. I'm, I'm, telling, I'm telling the folks the, the sausage making. All right. So what I'm going to do is read what you send, sent me, Allie, which I so appreciated because I was like, hey, what, what the heck just happened? <laughs> well, um, let's see. City council members, this is about point of order. All right, this is the, these are the things that can get you um, potted, point of, no, pooed, point of order, P-O-O. Stop it. Okay. City council members, the mayor, city staff, and the public are all required to follow the same basic rules of order and decorum to maintain a productive atmosphere and the integrity of governmental business before council. Um, so all meeting attendees shall strive to be professional in tone and conduct. Comments shall be truthful, based in fact, and be germane to the agenda item under consideration, shall be as concise as possible three minutes in our case, um, and may indicate concern for an issue. Oh, they, they allow us to indicate concern. That's amazing. Okay. Let's see. All comments shall be addressed to the presiding officer and not individual members of the governing body, staff, or other members of the public. No person may engage in name-calling or personal attacks. Indulge in personalities. Indulge in personalities. Um, treat with respect, make comments or noises with another person where, see, while another person is recognized to speak, uh, ridicule, contemptuous and dismissive language or behavior directed toward a person rather than the agenda item under consideration. So that was a parent parenthetical thing. Um, you can't impugn motives of members imply that they are not entirely honest or honorable absent facts um, other members of the public or staff or use loud threatening abusive indecent or profane language or participate in conduct which disrupts disturbs or otherwise impedes the orderly conduct of the meeting we're almost done i swear a person who resorts to persistent irrelevance 
or persistent repetition after the attention of the body has been called to the matter may be directed to discontinue the speech by the presiding officer. Any actions that disrupt the orderly conduct of the meeting at the discretion of the presiding officer may be ruled out of order. Okay, any comments on that before we listen to me? Yes. I think there is a good reason to have rules in place, right? We talked about this a little bit, about people can't just stand up in front of a microphone and spout off defamatory remarks, right? Right. Um, because one wouldn't want one's public comment directed toward them as a member of the public, and we've seen that happen before, where something said in a public meeting directly impacted a person mentioned or whose business was mentioned by name, they came back and they were pretty annoyed by that. So really the purpose of the rules is to make it a safe place for everyone where everyone feels free to share. And then also um, just keeping in decorum. We don't want ad hominem attacks or all of that. Okay, with that, you are now prepared to listen to Democracy in Action. Here you go. Seeing none, those will be approved. Uh, we'll not take public comment on items not listed on our agenda. So if you're here for a general item not on the agenda, um, come on up and give us your name for the record, please. Please keep your comments to about three minutes. This material, Missoula resident, these are just some general comments. Um, I think I finally determined the problem some of you elected officials have with the public. We are not the abstractions you see through the data of your surveys and listening sessions, rendered sterile and manageable through the analysis of your experts. We are real, actual humans, and your job is to represent all the people in your respective wards, whether you agree with them or not. Increasingly, what we disagree about are the core claims coming from the bubbles you exist in regarding the benefits of your policy decisions. Is the local bus system a better service after going free? Is tax increment financing a generally good tool improving the lives of average Missoulians? Are victims of sexual assault being better served by the criminal justice system 10 years after John Krakauer's book? And don't get me started on snow removal. Your answers arrive with the stink of a pandering public relations damage control campaign mixed with fancy consultant speak to impress Jane and Joe Smith into staying home and shutting up about what they plainly see happening on their streets and in their neighborhoods. I'm here as an independent journalist investigating local corruption to let you know you're damn lucky the public isn't paying closer attention because if they were, they'd see how you supposedly cash-strapped officials are doling out the funds left and right if it forwards your agenda. It's easy. So I understand why you use public funds to flex for what you think is the right thing to do. But outside your bubbles, people like me see businesses like the Radius Gallery getting TIF handouts to benefit their bottom line. While one of the owners of that business makes life difficult for people who don't toe the political line in this liberal town. I see how a litigant against a university who was also a landlord ended the rental lease of a council member she didn't politically agree with. I talk to reporters, not Gomer, Kidston, but the ones who have left the state after getting too close to your public-private schemes. I am more than willing to talk to reporters who are still here working about what I know and have with a few, but recently the Missoulians simply lumped me in as one of Scott Billadu's ilk. Is this unprofessional language being used out of a professional laziness, or is something else going on with John Talbot's Missoulian? Hmm. 
I bet having to deal with the public in person makes you nostalgic for the pandemic days when you got loads of emergency money, which you shoveled out in no-bid fashion with little to no accountability, and you even got to buy a nasty motel for a pretty big price tag, and the dirty hordes just had to stay home and take it. Well, if the resounding no of the crisis mill levy is any indication, the public in Missoula is no longer keen on just taking it, and they made it known. Maybe you think that's a flash in the pan. I think it's just the beginning. And when the dam of narrative control finally breaks, maybe the public will finally see the humans you've helped disappear. Humans like Sean Stevenson, a black man who was euthanized inside a private hospital by the public Missoula County Sheriff's Office on January 5th, 2020. Once they point see, they will have so, to act. So just, Mr. Mateer, uh, one of our members has called a point of order. What is the point of order? Point of order is inappropriate. Um, I mean, naming of people, allegations of euthanasia, I mean, completely inappropriate to our code of conduct. Okay. Um, I'm so, euthanizing so, black people in a town that cares about them. You have very to offensive. Point of order. All right, all right, all right. So what we're going to do, we direct the comments at the presiding officer, and um, we uh, keep it respectful, and uh, we'll move on to general, additional general public comment. Anyone, anyone else in the audience tonight? Okay, so the audience, Allie, has just listened to um, a public comment by me and then the point of order by Stacey Anderson. You and know, they survived it. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was a pretty interesting situation. Afterwards, you were approached by a city council member. I had a conversation with him later. It was all great. It was nice that this particular city council member could um, realize that uh, in a one-on-one -on -one direct conversation, I'm not always an angry man. But like that was his his comment to me initially is like, Travis, you're a pretty angry guy, aren't you? I, I didn't disagree with him. So, so we, what we wanted to do is not necessarily focus on that comment because um, I think you made a good point of why we need rules. Um, clearly, Stacy had the ability to call a point of order. Sure. Um, you know, I had my choice, which was to leave the city council chambers right. um, and actually had a nice brief chat with one of the, the police officers that came out. Um, he said, Travis, are you okay? I'm like, do I need to talk to you? Do we need to have a conversation? He's like, no, you're, you're good, Travis. Just checking on you. So it was, it was very sweet, actually. Well, um, that's that's good. So call out to, to MPD. For, and you walked out freely. Exactly. And I let him know I was not going to make his job any more difficult than need be. That's a good idea. It was a good idea. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about is um, how I might be screwing up what Rosa Corey in her book, Behind the Green Mask, um, would call the anti-Delphi technique. And so when there is a municipal sort of consensus building approach to pushing forward development that you might not agree with, and so some of the things we've been looking at with Midtown development is transpor transportation infrastructure, um, the Higgins Corridor lane reduction plan is actually why we were at City Council on Monday. We thought there was gonna be a, a big showing of people for that event for oh, yeah. for that for that vote um but all of the people that were actually in that chambers were primarily for the the hope to ban the use of of single use plastic bags so with that said and we'll get back to the plastic bags in, maybe in a minute but um the the chapter that I'm I'm looking at is near the end of the book so it starts on page 144 and I'm going to try and find a a good portion um, I, I kind of liked this part. Um, who is running your city? Be a sharp researcher. If you read about a group in your town that is advocating for smart growth, for instance, take a look at who's in the group. 
Google the names of the people running the organization, follow those links, who funds them, what influence do they have on your city? Try putting their name plus um, ICLEI, I can't remember what that stands for, um, or United Nations or Smart Growth in your search engine. You'll be amazed at what you find. Um, and so when I started writing sort of um, consistently in the last couple of years, I was pretty impressed with how easy it was to just look at some of these organizations and then follow the links, look at the board members, look at the funders. I mean, it really is something anyone can do in their local community. Sure. It really is. Um, and then let's see. So anti-Delphine, a meeting. I'm going to read this and let's see what might click for us. A Delphi meeting can either be a one-on-one -on -one or involve many people. The purpose of the meeting is to direct the outcome while giving the appearance that the attendees are having an impact and the outcome is their idea. If the meeting goes smoothly, the attendees will not be aware that they have been railroaded into agreeing with the plan that was designed prior to the meeting. Your goal is to show that the plan is not the plan of the people and to resist being duped. In order to do this effectively, you will need to stay calm. <laughs> yeah, so you'll need to stay calm and make the facilitator treat you rudely in front of the group. This, well, that part I think I, I well, achieved. But I think it has, it has I, to stay calm first, and oh. then it makes you look like the reasonable one. Gotcha. When so I may have, uh, yep, I screwed that one up. Okay, this is political theater. The facilitator relies on the compliance and obedience of the group in order to run the meeting to the desired outcome. Your job is to break the mesmerizing cadence of the totally orchestrated meeting and expose the gears behind the screen. The facilitator will lose control of the meeting at that point, and the spell will be broken. At that point, the entire audience should be asking questions and demanding answers from the facilitator. There will be no consensus. This works, but you have to do it right. If you make the facil facilitator look like the victim, <laughs> the audience will think you're abusing her, him, and you will lose. Hmm. What are your thoughts on that? I'm not sure if I like how you're smiling at me right now. <laughs> I'm just curious. Well, so um, I what I have learned by seeing how few people showed up for the Higgins corridor plan um, both uh, Scott Billadu and I, um, although we ha we have not met or talked about this uh, this issue beforehand, sure. um, you and I did some on the ground conversations with with local businesses, yeah. and while we had a pretty long long conversation with one person that was very against it and had a lot of opinions, um, I was a little surprised that there was not a lot of support. It seemed ag against the plan. It seemed like people were just. Uh, the people that were aware of it had been um, thinking and, and sort of supported just g moving ahead. Right. Even though there still seemed to be some trepidation about the loss of parking spaces downtown. Sure. Um, and, and so with this particular example of a development or at least a, a road design change that, that's happening, w locals that were against it have not been effective at all. And so... Another thing that I would say, because I know Monica Perez, when I was saying that I think I was doing this wrong, she's like, well, you know, she's pretty specific about how to carry out this technique. Are you are you following her technique? And I had to admit, no, I've been previously involved for years now 
trying to oppose some local policies like tax increment financing. And so I'm already a little bit farther along um, than what Rosa sort of explained. Um, some of her some of her advice is for people just waking up to what's happening and just getting started. So you're yeah. not you're not a known commodity when you're when you're at that level of trying to slowly get a moderator or a person that's administering a meeting to to lose the cool, right? Um, already when I walk into city council, um, like I experienced on Wednesday when I was getting getting involved in the North Side pedestrian bridge issue, is that sometimes the security guy, who I've never seen, he he's already calling me by my first name. So I have a certain amount of um, I would say notoriety that I've earned, and I cannot really pull off the anti-Delphi technique that Rosa suggests. Going back to what you read about political theater, yeah, there is a glorious statesman who was amazing at political theater and his birthday was also on Monday, February 6th. Um, the late, great president, Ron Ronald Reagan. I'm surprised it, it took you this long to find a way. It was his 112th birthday. Oh, it didn't take me that long. I just wanted to weave it in, in a way. Well he done. Was that, was, that was well done. masterful, masterful at capturing American hearts. Okay, and so in I... This, in this heart in mm, particular. You know what? I have to do it. I have to I have to do this. I have to say this. Really quickly, we watched also the, the State of the Union, and Joe Biden seemed to pull off in real time a negotiation on Social Security that, like, political theater... I mean, I thought this guy was, like, pooping in his pants, and he, he somehow, like, gets the jeering insane republicans to kind of like walk right into that that was that was some political theater i, I granted that do we have to give joe biden credit for something i, I give him credit for that I and don't for know loving chinese balloons don't even we're getting ahead was, of ourselves i was focused on mr reagan and how he was a i mean and there, granted at the time a lot of opposition toward president reagan but he, and you have to admit this, that his humor was pretty amazing. And, and it was clean. Yeah, no, I... Uh, and thoughtful. I actually really enjoy the documentary um, that you, you strapped me down and forced me to watch <laughs> with my eyes peeled open, kind of like that, that whole clockwork <laughs> orange. True. Like, you will love Reagan like yeah. I do. And then I'm like, no one in the universe loves Reagan like you do. That is true. Um, but one problem with Reagan, and this is a segue, so just, I, I know, I know. I'm, that is not a segue. I'm warning you that what I'm about to do is a segue so that you're not offended by what I'm saying is a problem with Ronald Reagan. He is a white man. Okay. Okay? And so our next post is a white man's guide to profiting off racism in Missoula and beyond, while synchronicities tell a different story. Reagan had nothing to do with Missoula, Montana. Well, maybe he did. I so I was encouraged, not like I need it, but I was encouraged by an anonymous email to keep digging on the um, Tobin Miller Shearer topic. So Tobin is a well-known university academic. Um, he teaches, he's like the head of the uh, African-American department. Um, I was encouraged by, by someone sending me an email. Again, I didn't need that encouragement, but I was interested because this was one of the things I had not done. We were just talking about following links and taking a look at organizations, right? right. You know, Tobin's got a consulting group. And that $10,000 that I previously reported on that he achieved 
he I mean, he doesn't just get money, he achieves money. They gave him 10 grand so his consulting firm could look for racism um, in the ASUM Senate, do some questionnaires, hide those questionnaires, give a report. I don't know really what this work entails, but I hadn't taken a look at wider stand consulting. So then I did, and then I wrote about it after taking some screenshots. A lot of BIPOCs here to look at, and, and, and a picture of Tobin in his younger days laughing his ass off. But it's interesting because what I'm learning is the way that this organization, it, it is a nonprofit, so it's a consulting firm that gets money, but it's a nonprofit, so it takes that money and it invests in other organizations or seed money to begin and start other organizations. So Montana Racial Equity Project got grant money from Tobin's consulting firm, which I thought was kind of fascinating. So I make those connections. So question on this. So we've talked about this before. I don't believe that you're saying there's something inherently wrong with all voices at the table. No, of right? course not. So the issue that you're taking right now is why is a particular nonprofit benefiting from this exclusively? Is it kind of, is, am I following you? So I, I look at, um, well, first of all, I'm biased. And so um, I've got mad crazy beef against Tobin for killing the Festival of the Dead. Okay. Um, in Missoula, Montana, 25 year history. Um, and you know, there's all, there's other baggage there too, that I don't need to get into, but, um, I do look into this on a sort of like, this has popped up as an, as an article. There's a piece of information in local media reporting. Um, and then I start looking into it and thinking more and I pr present the information and people can choose for themselves what they, what they think. Um, when I start seeing like the fact his wife is on the board of this nonprofit and you start thinking about spousal privilege and just the difficulty of holding people accountable when you're starting mixing spheres, um, you know, the lifeguard group is another organization that is like primarily the family, you know, you got a wife and a kid. Um, and then you have, when you have money involved and you have actual, um, victims or marginal populations that need some level of accountability if, if you know, services that claim to be existent aren't there. So I'm just kind of interested in claims in what's in reported in local media and then the stuff that's, that's behind it. Um, one of the organizations, and it's interesting, Philadelphia has already been mentioned once. Um, Philadelphia came up again, and I mentioned that because we're going to follow some synchronicities in this post. In Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Eagles, they're in the Super Bowl. My Kansas yeah. City Chiefs in the Super Bowl. We're talking about a white man profiting off of uh, race baiting. This is the Super Bowl where it's the first time two black men are the starting quarterbacks opposing each other. Um, there's, and there's also two brothers. One of them is named Travis, hmm. the Kelsey brothers. That's right, but we're not going to talk about football quite yet. We need to talk about what's going on with the, the wider stand consulting firm. Um, so let me just take a look. One of the things that I kind of took issue with, the grants to BIPOC-led racial justice groups. So I highlighted the fact that applications are by invitation only. So Interesting. to even get a chance to get money from this consulting firm that's a nonprofit, you have to have some sort of in, some sort of invitation. Um, so pretty exclusive. And what else popped up? I think that was about it. Um, you can go, once again, you can go to zoomcron.com, that's Z-O-O-M-C-H-R-O-N.com to check out the blog. 
And what else? I think I'm going to leave it there in terms of that organization. What I wanted to shift into, because this is February, African American Month, um, and one of my sort of core frustrations is that the synchronicities that led me to leaving the nonprofit sector really circulate around a man named Sean Stevenson, who was assaulted on January 3rd, 2020, inside the Pavarello Center. And then he was taken to St. Pat's and he was taken off life support. So the comment that I made at city council, um, you know, my catch as the coroner um, from the sheriff's office was the one in that room. Um, Sean was removed from life support, family notified after the fact. So I think that just kind of is, is really kind of insane to me. Um, some synchronicities that actually did not make it into this post, um, as I'm looking at the state of Pennsylvania, where Sean was born, Sean was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, Damar Hamlin, the Buffalo Bills guy that all the conspiracy theories surrounding, did he die? Did he not? He was the, he was the Buffalo Bills guy that collapsed. Um, his number is three. Sean's favorite number was three. So there's some synchronicities I know the family is kind of paying attention to just in, in terms of some of the local football stuff that's happening. But um, the reason why football is is important is Sean actually had some friends when he was living in Denver. So he spent a lot of time uh, in Denver where uh, his daughter was growing up. So he actually left Denver once his daughter graduated high school. But while he was in Denver, friends with some Broncos football players, and he was in a really, really bad car accident ended up in the hospital. I think one of the Bronco players may, I think it was a fatal accident if I, I need to actually look into that more. Um, but but there's this this interesting sort of football backstory with, with Sean um, in Denver. And I kind of correlated that with the creepiness of Blucifer. Blucifer is the, did you, you saw the, the yeah. picture, right? The, the blue statue. Very, very creepy. Um, when, when you start talking about synchronicities, it's a little difficult to sort of order them. And so I would encourage people to go check out the blog. Um, but the the idea for me is, um, as I'm kind of scrolling through here, oh, that's right, that's right. So Denver, if people have any kind of awareness about the actual functioning and the networking of human trafficking, uh, I-90 came up as a big reason why um, Bighorn County, Bighorn County, right, is dealing with such a such a, a lot of problems when it comes to human trafficking. You've got this interstate that can just whisk people in and out pretty quickly. Um, I ninety, you know, you have Denver as being a major hub in in human trafficking, and so there's some things that that sort of touches on that I'm not going to get into quite yet. Um, I did mention a little bit of the the connection with the Montana Medical Association popping up in one of the organizations that benefited from Tobin's consulting group. And the reason why I mentioned that is at some point I'm going to get more into Sean's family's history because their history is actually phenomenal. And it, it, and it includes amazingly the introduction of helicopters into the medical field. So search and rescue, helicopters, horses, a lot of stuff there. I've been talking for a bit and there's a lot of just stuff thrown out there. Anything to comment on with that? I think we'll maybe head on to the next post. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. What is the next post? Can you guess? I don't know. Do you see that this, this major fence with, with the, the iron rod pointing outward bridges? 
Mm-hmm. Wait, was that Bridges, baby? Thursday. So this post, um, when was this post? This was February 9th. So was that Thursday? Yes. It would have been because Wednesday is when this amazing conversation was happening at city council. So for those following along Monday point of order, Travis sit down, right? Um, Wednesday I got back up and went back into that council chambers because I saw the North pedestrian bridge was on the agenda and it's getting more expensive. $2.5 yeah. $2. million now. It's pretty expensive. But it's cool because there might be a coffee shop in it. So the title of the post, Bridge or Black Hole, It Doesn't Matter, Council Member Heidi Weist, Heidi Weist, Heidi West wants a coffee shop there. But this was amazing to me. When I was sitting in the Climate Conver- Conservation and Parks Committee, um, I was not expecting to actually get a, a sneak peek in this sort of upstream exposure of how city council at least at least a few of them how they they think about development so you've got this bridge 1999 is when it was built it's now completely closed because the masonry blocks are salted to death the the drainage was apparently not very designed very well even though apparently the company that designed it is now getting the money to fix it oh right (laughs) yeah fun times but it, it's it's amazing because the elevator shaft is also a public hazard, so that's been closed. Probably not ever going to be fixed. Chain link fence has been put up to protect the public. That's ugly. What they are thinking is, hey, let's make a more permanent steel fence. Let's put up maybe a coffee shop in the elevator shaft. You know, let's just I don't know, maybe spend twenty million. Let's make a bond. Let's do whatever. Let's do crazy stuff. Why do they keep doing this? Why? Heidi West told this idea to Donna Gockler. Donna Gockler at one point has suggested we need a $44 million bond for an aquatic center. At some point, when you look at the actual financial weather out there, you know, the brewing storm clouds, the inflation, um, the Chinese balloons, you know, all, all that that portends in this Chinese year of the rabbit, what are we actually talking about in what city council is doing? They, they, they not too long ago were complaining of having no money for, for the houseless. Sure. Yet they're going to be putting coffee shops in bridges that are falling apart. It comes down to priorities. That, that is a good point. It does. And there's our, what, what are theirs? What are their priorities? What are their priorities? Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm scrolling ahead. I'm making sure that we're, I think we're still recording. It still looks good. I get flustered though, because I, I think of coffee shops inside bridges and I, I get a little, um, I don't know. I get a little uh, confused at, at really what they're, what they're planning. That's a good question one that you could ask Heidi West. I think the heart behind it is to make use of an elevator shaft that would otherwise be unusable because the elevator was said to be very costly to repair and that was way outside the scope of their original projected uh, cost. And so I think the heart behind it 
is to make use of a space that would otherwise be defunct. The practicality of that might be a different question. Can't they make it into a tiny home and like having like an actual like kind of like troll situation no. where a troll bridge? Yeah. <laughs> A troll bridge. That's a good one. So one of the things that was interesting to me, because I, I was kind of questioning whether or not I was going to go to this committee hearing. It's a Wednesday. You know, working stiffs do that working thing. A lot of people are, are not able to tune in via Zoom or go in person to the council chambers. I was really happy that I went in person because um, the questions that I brought up with the bridge, first I begged them not to spend money if they didn't need to. Was, uh, I, I begged. And, and I kept my tone nice. So, you know, I'm, I'm not too proud to beg. I also suggested that I was interested about public, the public being restricted in terms of access. And I referenced a bridge to nowhere. It's across the street from the Pavarilla Center on West Broadway. It goes across a ditch to the West Broadway Island. I've been mystified by the scheduling of this bridge. Th this bridge, the scheduling of the bridge, that doesn't make sense unless you know that there's a gate and the gate can open and shut and there's a lock. And so the, the gate is open. Sometimes it's shut. Yeah. And sometimes it's shut in the daytime. Sometimes it's a weekend or a weekday. I haven't really been able to discern the schedule. I actually went into Parks and Rec. David Selvage was the guy I was told, you got to talk to David. I sent him an email. No response. He was very busy looking into coffee shop, elevator, conjunction designs. And, and so I had a chance to ask David because he was the guy giving the presentation on the north side pedestrian bridge. It was great. I got a response. There's no plans on this new north side pedestrian bridge when it's completed to restrict access. Did not get an answer about the bridge to nowhere, except when I left. The security guard that knew my name, even though I had never seen him before, mm -hmm. he was kind of interested about the bridge. And he told me the Black Knight security, which I knew the Black Knight security had a role. I thought they were opening and closing it. What I found out, they only close it. Mm -hmm. So Black Knight security closes the, the gate on the bridge. Um, Parks and Rec is supposed to open it. So I still have not determined what the actual schedule is, but I know from this one man's perspective, and this kind of checks out, Parks and Rec is responsible if it's not being opened on time, if it's not opened in the day. <laughs> of course, we, we kind of chuckled because I, I pointed out my work with the homeless allows me to see things that some, some people don't. And so when I looked at the bridge, I looked underneath it and there were some rocks and it's very easy to just cross it. And so you can lock the bridge. It's not really stopping people from getting to the, the island if they want to. So for the listeners tuning in and saying, Travis, why does this matter? What do you say? Why, big picture, why does it matter if we have three bridges to nowhere and coffee shops and elevator shafts? And well, in a, in a lot of ways, what our elected officials, you know, during, during the period before they get elected, they have a lot of these ideas that they tell the public about, and then they want to follow through and, you know, do their job. My, my question is, are they able to follow through on their claims? And so when, when we look at how like you said, priorities. Um, when you look at the claims of not having resources for this one issue, but then doing a bunch of stuff in this other area, um, what the general public 
has, I think, is, is not a lot of information about what's happening. When they do get more and more information, um, I think you get more and more awareness that their tax dollars are not being are not being well served. And even if you're just renting, I mean, you're still potentially using some of this infrastructure that is going to have problems. And I like to remember some of these things that have happened in the not so distant past. You know, when we get fancy with bridges like the pedestrian bridge over Reserve Street, we try to electrify it with heating coils so that that is how the ice melts in that situation. You know, in this bridge, we have the ice in the north side bridge. We've got the ice that's melting the masonry blocks. So we have Montana, we have winter, we have the seasonal reality, the stuff that happens on the ground. That's what I'm interested in, the reality of the things happening on the ground, because the people with the money, you know, the hands on the purse strings, they're determining what gets built, but I'm not sure how much on the ground reality they actually see play out. And that's why with like the Higgins Bridge, which is now Bear Tracks Bridge, um, it took poor little Fido getting his little paws burned for everyone to realize, oh, they're just choosing materials because of cost or for whatever reason. And they're not necessarily realizing it might be really hot for that. your dog That's in the really summertime. Sad. Yeah, that was, that was, I mean, bridges in Missoula are so amazing to me. I have written a very long poem. I'm not going to read it right now for anyone that's like, oh, God, please don't, Travis. But I, I have a pretty significant poem that just goes through all these different bridges. And I... I don't include every single bridge. We have a bunch of rivers, so. You could write a history of bridges in Missoula. Oh, man. Someone, if you're listening, if you have some funding ideas for um, giving me some, some money, and, and I would love to write a book like that. That's a good idea. It is interesting. Moving on. So we, we have a, I think this might be our actual, this might be the last post. Let me, let me see. Yes. Were you going to say something? Were you going to yawn? No. Okay. Continue. I had a thought and I lost it. I had some thoughts too, but that's because I'm scrolling and I'm seeing some of the images that I, I selected for this last oh, post. No. Yeah. I still have some more content that we have to speak oh, about. Oh, yeah. We, got, we do. We do have some stuff. But this will be the last, the last post for the, the blog. And this was posted on February 10th. The title, On Defending Yourself in a World Where Sad Prosecutors Write Books Instead of Keeping Their Communities Safe. Hmm, who could I be talking about? Kirsten Pabst? That's right. Thank you for uh, filling that time while I'm taking a drink of water. Whew, it is toasty in this space. Okay, so the picture... For folks, um, obviously, can't see it. You're listening to a podcast. Um, in Missoula, Montana, we had a homeowner that had to use lethal force to defend himself against a burglar. That happened recently on a Sunday. Um, I, I was actually kind of interested in, in where this happened, and so I walked up and down the street and wasn't able to figure out where it happened. But I can see now this greenhouse with the, the yellow tape has the don't tread on me flag which makes sense. There was also some rainbow flags, so I don't know if the street has a little bit of challenge socially from time to time. But um, on Sunday, this unfortunate situation happened because the burglar would not listen to the homeowner who had a firearm, and so Patrick Shmori got himself shot and killed. Um, Patrick Shmori was 
from the Spokane Valley, but uh, one of my listeners or one of my readers sent me a link and it was actually really interesting to take a look at how this local real estate agent, this was back in 2009, and local meaning Charlottesville, uh, this guy actually pled guilty in September of that year to one count of murder for hire, causing interstate travel with the promise of payment. So um, this, this gentleman actually was hiring someone to kill his wife. Um, and the quote in the link, Mr. Shimori's actions in trying to kill his wife were both meticulous and chilling. United States Attorney Timothy J. Heffy said today, once he made the decision to have his wife killed, the defendant stopped at nothing to achieve that goal. Today, he was justly punished for that terrible criminal decision. So the link got me thinking about how this prosecutor for the United States Attorney's Office um, was able to get this nice quote like, oh, he was punished. You know, he was sent away. Well, for people, again, that follow through on paying attention to what happens, um, the criminal justice system, I, I think, how did I eloquently say this, is fucked is how I said it in the blog, because um, I, I pair this local situation with this guy's criminal history, the fact that he was able to obviously get out of prison, um, was hanging out in the Spokane Valley, then took a little trip to Missoula, do a little burglary, and then got shot. Um, but what, what, I, what this made me think of is a recent deep dive episode. So uh, Monica Perez does a great podcast called Deep Dive, and she had a recent episode with Nikki Goser, and Nikki Goser was not like the homeowner in this situation. So um, Nikki Goser did not have a firearm. She was in a restaurant that did not allow it. So her gun was in her car when this insane person that was stalking her showed up. Um, she tried to get the restaurants to get this man kicked out. The man had a 45 caliber firearm in a shoulder holster. He took it out and he shot her husband in front of her and all of the patrons of this restaurant. Um, the man was taken uh, taken down uh, by a retired Marine and some other patrons, and then he was obviously arrested. He was tried. He was sentenced. He is going to be potentially be getting out in five years. This guy will be potentially getting out in 2028. Um, he had some of the firearms charges dismissed, and so even though he was breaking laws in Tennessee where this happened, um, those charges were not taken up by the judge. Um, this man, uh, the, the man uh, that, that killed this woman's husband, continued to harass her um, when he was actually, um, she was trying to get, a, I think, a, a permanent order of protection um, because orders, order, orders of protection are usually time limited. And so her situation was pretty extreme. You would think a permanent order of protection would be warranted. She did not have a permanent order of protection. So there were still some court proceedings she needed to get. Unfortunately, that means when he's served, he gets the paperwork that has the lawyer's mm -hmm. address. And so he is able to send letters to the lawyer um, that terrorized her, obviously. And so she told the lawyer to not tell her about these letters. The letters kept coming, kept coming. Um, this represents a, a felony charge. She was able to get him charged um, federal felony charge, which I think even though it wasn't a huge uh, actual, you know, I don't think he got any additional time. What she wanted to do with this charge is try to get the jail to take away his good credits, his um, good behavior credits. He had accumulated the maximum um, good behavior credits in, in jail for early release. 
And so that is the reason why he was looking at a 2028 release. So this is still an ongoing situation for, for her. Um, and that's one of the, the, one of the points she was making is the criminal justice system does not let you go. Um, if you're a victim of a crime like this, um, you may have to continue going into court to get an order of protection um, reinstated. You know, you still are, are almost shoved into the situation where a perpetrator gets continued access. And it's, it's just a terrible, awful thing. And so um, I was thinking about that as I, and this is how I, I piece together posts sometimes. So I'll have a couple of different stories in mind, or it'll just be in the back of my, in the back of my thinking. And then I'll see something that just kind of <laughs> gets me a little riled up. And, and I saw that there's a book coming out and I've already ordered this book on Amazon. I can't wait to get it. I like holding books in my hand. I like, hold, I like holding books that are signed, like a signed copy. I don't know if Kirsten Paps is going to sign my copy of Thriving Through Chaos because I've already made some points just by my initial assessment of the KGVO article in which the announcement of this book was made. Um, here is, oh, yeah, this, this will be fun to kind of get into this a bit. Um, let's see, this is from the KGVO article. In the wake of a number of brutal and vicious crimes in Missoula County that deeply affected law enforcement and prosecutors, <laughs> Missoula County Attorney Kirsten Pabst developed a program that deals with what she termed secondary trauma to help them deal with and recover from the effects of such prosecutions. So it's not her term, it's a term, it's a well-known term. You're familiar with this term, Allie? Yes. Very well. Yes, and so am I. That effort, which she shared with the National District Attorneys Association, has resulted in a new book entitled Thriving Through Chaos, Survival Gear for the Criminal Justice Professionals. So it's important for, <clears throat> for listeners to realize that you know, a lot of these different elected offices, like the Secretary of State, there's there's national organizations that they belong to that is a sort of standardizing way of getting information disseminated or getting new standards. And so um, the fact that Kirsten Pabst is a part of the National District Attorneys Association is significant because um, her views on, on vicarious trauma or secondary trauma then get influence in a, in a wider organization or a wider network. Um, it's important, I think, for people um, on the front lines, first responders, to address the fact that secondary trauma is a real thing. So I'm not downplaying that at all. But I also like, again, remembering history, and, and Kirsten Pabst has a history. And I to a certain point where I, I, I say if you are at a certain point of burnout or if you've had too much um, secondary trauma – Maybe you think about getting a different job. Maybe you shift careers. Maybe you do something else. Maybe you stop, continue being a county attorney if it's that traumatizing for you. And so um, the chaos obviously must be referring to Missoula. I mean, this is the chaos that, that Kirsten Paps would be aware of, um, is the chaos in her own backyard, Missoula, Montana. And I just wanted to go take a little trip down memory lane to an article that Katie Baker wrote for, I think it was BuzzFeed, a little embarrassing to be using a BuzzFeed link, but the content is important. So I'm going to read this. This is from 2012. I, no, I'm sorry, 2014. Missoula, Montana was rocked in 2012 by an unprecedented United States Department of Justice investigation that found the county attorney's office badly mishandled sexual assault cases. But just, but just two years later, a former prosecutor who was deeply involved in the troubled office may be in line to take it over. Kirsten Paps says she's running for county attorney to bring the Missoula office, quote, 
back in line with community values, including compassion for victims. After its reputation was badly tarnished by almost three years of highly publicized sexual assault scandals and the subsequent federal probe. Um, whether or not it was a federal probe or state probe is kind of a question. I think that um, you and I, Ali, both kind of would like to see some clarity on. But uh, moving on, I also wanted to include this this perspective from Fred Van Valkenburg. So he was the former uh, head county attorney, and this is a continued excerpt from the link. Pabst is one of just two candidates, both Democrats, running to replace current Missoula County attorney Fred Van Valkenburg, who has been battling the Department of Justice ever since it announced a three-pronged federal investigation in May 2012 into how Missoula's County Attorney's Office, Police Department, and the University of Montana handle sexual assault. Who is not mentioned? The Sheriff's Office. But Pabst, who served as Van Valkenburg's chief deputy from 2006 to 2012, may be a hard sell to Montanans shocked by the findings of the Justice Department report, which found that, quote, women consistently told us that deputy county attorneys treated them with indifference or disrespect and frequently made statements to, women's, to women victims, advocates, and the public diminishing the seriousness of sexual violence and minimizing the culpability of those who commit it. Um, I mentioned after that lengthy quote, the, the fact that um, I thought we were maybe one prong short of a full fork in leaving out the sheriff's office in that federal probe. Um, and then near the end of the post, I got a little loopy, I think, and, and said, right, said Fred, and then tried to find a little bit of levity, which I don't know if it's totally appropriate to try and find levity in a situation in 2023 in which I can even write a post um, that questions whether or not we've learned um, anything in 10 years. So um, <clears throat> I don't know if there's anything in that you'd want to speak specifically to before you go to some of your topics. Yeah, I think there is a lot of stigma surrounding secondary trauma. As I said last week, first responders are at three times greater risk than the general population to commit suicide. Right. Uh, I mm-hmm. think it's extremely important and uh, there tends to be some reticence within the secondary trauma fields uh, to secondary trauma training uh, because there's the stigma attached to it that if I, if I get training or receive help on that, that I'm somehow weak or unfit for the job. So, so I myself was actually feeding into that stigma. Um, just a bit. So I, because w- when I heard you describing that, I was like, oh yeah, that's what kind of I was doing out of my frustration um, for how I think this <clears throat> the, this county attorney's office is functioning. Um, if you're going to stay in this work, you should not feel that getting help with secondary trauma is somehow uh, a sign of weakness. So I think it's important for you to make that point because, <clears throat> excuse me, um, comments that I made could be seen as sort of stigmatizing. And I think in in this particular context, to not throw the baby out with the bathwater, because there are 100% in my mind still concerns with our county attorney's office and local criminal justice system as far as sexual assault response is concerned across the board. I still have those concerns. I don't think they magically went away um, after, you know, from 10 years ago on. I don't think the DOJ investigations, state and federal, necessarily eradicated those issues. They're ongoing conversations. 
as far as secondary trauma training is concerned, I think it should be ongoing. It's not a one and done. You've had one training and therefore you're good. I think it's maintenance, just like all aspects, even physical health is a maintenance. It's not w once a year you go to the gym or you work out. It's something that you do daily that keeps you in a good place. So I think that's extremely important. I'm excited to see secondary trauma training more integrated into our conversations. I mean, like locally within first responder systems. And I hope that that takes hold. I hope that there's funding for it, that the state actually prioritizes that. So because um, it's, it's so important. Before we get to some of the topics that we'll wrap up with, um, let's talk a little bit about when you're, when you're mentioning funding and obviously we are in the middle of the state legislative session. Um, this is something I wanted to specifically talk about because you and I both had some hopes that we would be spending some time in Helena. Um, we have been watching remotely. There's been some specific things that we have been interested in, um, you know, different stuff that, that we've been tracking. One of the things that became apparent, and this kind of goes back to Monday, right? And, and this will actually make sense about the, the song that, that is going to be at the very end of this podcast episode. So um, one of the things that was a bit confusing for us was the amount of people that were in the chambers for the ban on plastic bags. And I want to explain this a little bit because um, this is this is kind of important for why they felt the need to kind of come to Missoula and to express their frustration because they had gone to Helena. And when they went to Helena, one of the the, the bill that they went to Helena to to make comment about um, was canceled. The, the hearing was canceled three minutes before the hearing was supposed to take place. And so. The reason why that matters is because, you know, for anyone outside of Montana that's not aware of our session, every two years we've got the 90-day session. Uh, we have a very big state geographically. Um, if people in different communities want to go to Helena, Montana to make comments, that can be a significant drive. That can be resources. I don't care what the topic is. Um, people should have reasonable expectations of being able to um, participate in government and in order to do that, they need to know when something is happening and be able to actually show up and participate. Um, it seems like there's a lot of games being played right now. There's a lot of attention getting with culture war bills. Uh, Republicans are really wanting to do some tra anti-trans bills is how that's being framed. Um, some of the stuff you've been listening to, Ali, you said there's a lot of alcohol stuff, a lot of bills like looking at different alcohol policies. Um, we haven't necessarily heard a lot about the state hospital, and so the state hospital in Montana is completely in chaos. You want to talk about chaos, um, you, you lose federal funding, um, you allow some really awful, awful, deplorable things to happen within the state, state institution. You know, that's something that needs to be talked about. And then training like you're, you're discussing with secondary trauma, crisis intervention training. You know, we discussed last week a little bit about the, um, the Tyree Nichols um, killing. What kind of training law enforcement is getting? Is that the killology of David Grossman? You know, and that's gross. So these are really important conversations. And local communities are going to have different types of training, different things that will um, either, I think, empower their first responders, um, their prosecutors, their all of the people within the criminal justice system, empower them to to do something effective or or not. 
Um, and I also will really quickly mention the Missoulian or Lee Enterprises has been doing a pretty big series about public defenders and the criminal justice system. Um, it's been pretty eye-opening to read some of those articles. It is such a screwed up system. There's almost no words. If individuals within the system are healthier, then the system itself can be healthier. And that's why that really matters because there mm-hmm. it allows for more creativity. You can have better creative solutions, collaboration, less burnout. It's all around a good thing. So it, I really do believe that the health of the system is reflected. It's a reflection of the health of the individuals within it. And so it's really important to build up our teams, like build up the people within the system. So, um, Do you think doing lots of cocaine is healthy? No. So you, you're not on Twitter. You're not aware of how much the, the leader of Ukraine gets the sniffles? No. No. Um, he does. And it's weird. It's weird because we're going to talk about at the end – of this episode, which if, if you're still tuning in, thank you for, for, for listening. I, I hope we are educating you about some um, topics that you find value in. Um, we can talk about Ukraine. We can talk about China. China and Ukraine both have local tie-ins, which I find fascinating. The Ukraine tie-in, um, it's not just cocaine. Of course, there is cocaine in Missoula, Montana. Um, but there was a Ukrainian train guy that was part of a, a Billings train summit. And yeah. so that was pretty that was pretty fascinating. Dave Strohmeyer, our county commissioner in Missoula County, loves trains. They want to get passenger rail going, uh, maybe even light rail down Brooks. This could be part of the Higgins corridor scheme. Who knows? But this Ukrainian train guy made an appearance. Well, on Twitter, which you don't have the benefit of seeing all this trash scroll in front of your face constantly, which God bless you. That's a, that's a good thing. You don't have that in your face. I do. It's not a healthy thing, speaking of health, um, but I got to see Zelensky, um, I think, break the world record for uh, a leader of a country um, making sort of cocaine-inspired sniffling movements with, like, his finger and his nose and, you know, crinkling up his nose. Kind of looks like a little rabbit, a little cocaine rabbit. Not like Cocaine Bear. That's a movie. I've never heard of it. We live in strange times, but um, the Ukrainian leader, Zelensky... He's a president. He used to be an actor, kind of like Reagan. That's right. But Zelensky is, from my perspective, kind of a piece of shit. But World War III might happen surrounding that. Also, if um, the China balloon is any indication, our senator here in Montana, John Tester, not very happy. Mm-hmm. And there was some something else was blown up out of the sky, I think, recently. So what's going on? You were, you were looking into some of this. I do want to go back for one second to, to the cocaine skirt over the Ukraine and just say, I believe people, citizens within nations are often held hostage to the wills of government. This is very true. So the reality is I have a lot of compassion for people who are on whatever side of war, right? There's people. And that's where I come. So I just, just to put that out there, I pray for the people of Ukraine. I pray for the people of really all nations. So, and the leadership, frankly, of, of all nations. Thank you for speaking for them because, you know, the, the service level cocaine president is really just part of the political theater that's playing out 
Um, and in some ways, we sort of are victims ourselves of the information war. If that's the level of engagement we have in geopolitics is, is looking at the the sniff, sniffing, snorting, you know, potential cocaine abusing, you know, president of a, of a country, probably not the, the most extensive deep analysis of what's happening geopolitically in Ukraine. Um, I don't know if I have energy to get into the, the geopolitics of Ukraine. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's really not something in terms of our week in review. It's a bit beyond the scope of, of what we want to be discussing. Although if World War III in a kinetic way kicks off, we'll all be talking about it, except the internet might not be working and we might be roasting rats over barrel fires. I think that's happening in New York. But um, back to the Chinese spy balloon. Back to the Chinese spy balloon, because this is something that you've got a, a, a strong interest in in following. And John Tester had a chance to do some political theater. You, you felt it was pretty, pretty effective in terms of uh, him genuinely being upset that we didn't have a better heads up that this thing was coming. I liked what Senator Tester had to say. Mm -hmm. And he was, the, I believe, the chair of the Appropriations Committee. I believe. I don't know that for a fact. I would have to double check. I should know that. You can look it up. But he said what I would have said about the balloon. And he was asking some tough questions about why didn't we know sooner. He wants to know what's the plan when this happens again. And just as of today, which is February 10th, there was another unidentified object that was shot down above Alaska. So it did happen again within, I think, 24 hours of the hearing. So Interesting. Yeah, so that was interesting. So I say kudos to Senator Tester. Senator Daines also made a statement, which I appreciated, about our airspace and the integrity of our airspace. It was a surveillance balloon, according to the Department of Defense, Unlike the uh, Chinese government was saying, it was not a friendly balloon. Senate Appropriations Subcommittee hearing. Yes. Confirmed. Um, it's interesting to me because, you know, I, I think on some level, you know, people are taking at face value what's being reported. You know, I, I, the Chinese use balloons and, you know, what are they what are they going? I, I think I heard someone make the, the point that. Um, what is a balloon going to, to see that a satellite isn't going to be able to determine? I mean, don't we have pretty high-tech satellites already? What's the, what's the strategic value for China sending a balloon over, over America to be spotted by someone in Billings, Montana? And Access to different types of communications, I believe. Like they're Oh, interesting, yeah. Mm -hmm. So the lower the lower something like that could be, it could pick up maybe on different forms of communication. I did not think about that. Um, I want to actually pause for a second and thank you for technology fixes. The last two episodes yeah. that people have heard, um, they have no clue what like the kind of work that actually went into it. I took, I think, several naps and I sent off angry texts while you actually spent like five hours getting the last episode out. It was a miracle. You know, I... I do believe in the it power really of was. Jesus when I when I see you <laughs> channeling whatever you're uh, doing. I, I just woke up and all of a sudden I heard like not clicks voices. Yeah. And not chipmunk yeah. sounding voices either. I'm thankful. Yeah. So I just needed to say that because really I appreciate technology that. is a is a trigger for me. And I'm glad you appreciate that. You know that. And so 
Um, we are going to figure out more sustainably what our technology is doing. We did a playback, and so I think it's, it's working. It's working. I think the playback thing works. And China probably is listening right now. They're probably listening to us because we're very important Americans here in Missoula, Montana. Um, clearly, they were sending the balloon over probably to spy on us, I think. I just take that for granted. Because we know we're, uh, we're troublemakers here in Missoula yeah. County and Mineral County. That's true. I always say... <laughs> Maybe this is not appropriate for air, but I, it, it, for anyone listening, I hope they're learning something. That's what I always say. Yes, I, I do hope folks are learning things, and I hope we have the range of um, the range of, of topics and, and the ability to actually freely have conversations. Oh, I meant, about I went on my personal phone conversations, but yes, here too. You mean? Oh, <laughs> I, I got meant, you. You know, I didn't want to say any three-letter words. Oh, I got you. CCG. Um, CCG. I just made that up. It's actually CCP, right? <laughs> no, I was I was thinking of another three-letter. Oh, I got you. Entity. It's hard to remember um, <laughs> how many people may be <laughs> interested. Okay. But I, I I do want to bring this this story up kind of just quickly. Um, one of the one of the aspects of the culture war that's happening right now in Montana is over transgender issues. So I used to be a resident artist at the Zootown Arts Community Center where some of the drag show stuff is happening. If you're an adult, I don't, don't really care what you do um, as long as consenting adults, you're not breaking laws, yada, yada. Um, the, the preemptive kind of, uh, the, the banning of things, right? That's one of the things that was discussed in city council is that there is a, a ban on bans put forth, I think, by the state in the 2021 legislative session. And so the ability of local municipalities to do any kind of ban has been imp has been sort of restricted, I, I believe. I'll have to look into this a little bit more deeply. Um, but there, there's all of this conversation around transgender issues and you know banning this, banning that, or protecting this um, class. And it, it gets so confusing. Sometimes I see something, though, and it just kind of like brings some clarity. And I, again, this is an image that you can't see in an audio recording. Um, but here's a person that is going to be potentially in a female prison. Allie, why are you covering your face? Why? Okay. I was not prepped for this. This was not one of the topics that we had discussed. No. Just talking. Um, from the independent record, so this is uh, Helena. I'm going to read a little bit of this. If you saw the picture of Serenity, um, Elena Mann, uh, Mann, the last name is spelled M-A-N-N. -N. <clears throat> I'll read just a little bit. A transgender woman was sentenced to five years in state prison with five years suspended after being found guilty at trial of felony strangulation of a partner. Questions as to whether the woman, based on her gender identity, would be possibly sent to a men's or women's prison or correctional facility arose during the sentencing. Quote, I think that either a placement with men in the Department of Corrections or a placement in a men's prison would be severely detrimental to her mental health and possibly her safety, said Mann's attorney, Molly Woodman. Throughout those five years, Serenity Elena Mann has to serve a consecutive week in jail every year, totaling 35 days in jail. Lewis and Clark County, first, that's an interesting sentence. Um, Lewis and Clark County, first judicial District Court Judge Christopher Abbott ruled she will serve 40 hours a year of community service throughout the five years, totaling 200 hours. Um, th th 
that small sentence is kind of shocking compared to the claim or what this person has been accused of. Uh, men will have to be on the violent offender registry, alert her probation officer of, of any future romantic partners, and alert future partners of her status on probation and of her conviction. She will have no future direct or indirect contact with the victim. Um, let me just scroll a little bit further down. Let's see. On Thursday, the state asked for five years. The maximum sentence, so only five years, is the maximum sentence in the Montana State Prison for man because they noted strangulation is practicing homicide. Man's abuse lasted for years on a partner who was particularly vulnerable due to, due to being partially paralyzed and mentally disabled from a traumatic brain injury suffered early in life. Man also threatened her partner multiple times with harm if she went to law enforcement. All that I ask is please protect me and don't let Serenity keep her word by hurting me or even killing me, the female partner said in her victim impact statement. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if I want to even finish reading this. Um, this sort of goes along the lines of, you know, the, the priorities within the criminal justice system and the severity of sentences for pretty awful crimes. Uh, physically violent crimes, um, right. crimes where there absolutely are victims and they're victims that are being impacted and continually impacted. Um, the way this article ends is basically the victim cried when she realized this person was not going to be incarcerated. Um, it's, uh, I mean, it was more a, a look at, at, at the transgender person's mental health issues than it was the impact on the victim of almost being strangled to death. And the, and the right. fact that the, the maximum sentence could be just five years it's it's all pretty shocking um yeah. i don't know if that's the the, the way we want to wrap up this uh, the, this episode no. um but but this really is there <clears throat> any way to put a bow on that topic as far as like so so the main point being sentencing for violent crime well, I mean, I think the question at the legislative level really is, you know, what is funded in terms of mental health services, you know, in terms of public defenders, you know, like, do we have prosecutors in, in criminal defense, not, not criminal defense lawyers, but, you know, public defenders, do, do we have a overburdened system and what is the, the fix and the solution? You know, I think the funding choices being made now at the, at the state level are really important because we have politicians um, you know, the county attorney's office is an elected office, the sheriff's office, an elected office. You know, we have a lot of questions about where the money is going to be going, where the training is going to be going. One of the, the bills that you were looking at that you were watching, Ali, um, had a very short hearing and mm -hmm. it passed unanimously. And it'll be interesting to know who's going to be doing the training for um, that. That was what was that specific bill? It was a requirement for missing person training for all sheriffs across all counties in Montana. That's right. And that passed the third reading of the Senate on Wednesday, which is great. It unanimously 50 to zero. So that is good. It looks like there will be training with much needed training across our state for missing persons, uh, investigations. And uh, again, though, the, the question becomes, you know, for me, the follow through, you know, where is that money actually going? Who's going to do the training? Um, that that becomes, I think, interesting because it's a great question. Mm -hmm. It's an important question, and that might be a question answered down the road in a year or two. I mean, that that's really what yeah. it takes to to follow some of this stuff. Right. Um, the criminal justice system doesn't work in weeks. No, it does not it work does in not. weeks. It works in months and years. 
Going back to the case that you mentioned, because I have some thoughts going in my head right now about that, I think, so the criminal justice system, in theory, should apply laws equally. Everyone should be treated equally under the law if you have the same offense, but um, then you should be punished the same, your sentencing should be similar, like cases should be treated alike. Um, so I think we get into murky water when we start painting groups of people with broad brushes. So whether they, and we spoke, that, spoke about this in a previous podcast, the quote, the homeless, because we spoke about the Flathead County Commissioner's statement, homogenizing homeless people all as one brand of people. We know that's not true. We know, uh, at least this is my perspective, that not everyone is the same. Even if they identify certain characteristics of a group, they're not all the same. So the case that you mentioned, it should be treated both uniquely in its own right, like every time, like the first time, but also within the context of how are other similar cases, and I think it's a strangulation case, how are those cases treated? Are they treated, administered fairly by the same judge? Like what, what does that look like? Because if we start individualizing cases and saying, well, this person gets this type of sentence and this person gets different, uh, that's not a good thing. Well, I think one thing, just broadly speaking, our culture is sending is signals on how to play victim cards. And mm -hmm. there's benefit in playing the victim card. You can diffuse criticism in the workplace. You can um, potentially even get a lighter sentence in the criminal justice system, potentially. I mean, who knows? <clears throat> in this situation, um, and some of the, the, the points you made about the homeless conversation and what we were talking about consistently last week, which is safety public safety right. issues. Um, you know, I don't think this person, if you just saw the picture, putting a little bit of eyeshadow on can take away from the fact that, um, this, uh, this person has a, a history of violence. And so just scrolling down, I wanted to read this really quickly. Um, because I think it's important to, to basically get a sense of who can be rehabilitated, who has a chance of, of getting some, some help, um, and who we might have to think of different different methods of sort of addressing, you know, whether it's more controlled, like living environments with longer supportive incarceration. That's, right. you know, you actually change the picture of incarceration. Um, let me just try and find this part. Really, I had it and then I lost it. Um, you know, when when you're scrolling and because of the ads, the where you're at keeps on changing on you. I hate when that happens. Um, what I wanted to find in this in this article, though, was a previous uh, situation in which this person used a crowbar and threatened someone in a road rage incident. Um, you know, partly just because that's the history in this individual case that should be taken into consideration, um, more so than whether a person is now identifying as a different gender. Right. So you're saying that the criminal justice system, at least the allocation of sentencing and such should be based on behavior, not identity. Right. Yeah. Crazy idea. Um, because part of now this article, I'll just read this part. This isn't what I was looking for, but um, it says here that man is a transgender woman with a quote dead name of Jeffrey Mann. A dead name is the name they no longer go by after changing genders. The partner stated their relationship with man. 
started oh the partner started their relationship with man when she was jeffrey um um, while the state's counsel, the alleged victim, and the witnesses have been vocal about their lack of consideration for the defendant's transgender identity and preferred gender should not be ignored by this court in making its judgment, Barry said. Barry noted how she disagrees with that statement and that the victim is not alleged because man has been found guilty. Um, I've done everything in my power to make sure that the defendant was treated fairly with respect and dignity in every trial and every hearing and every time we met with jurors, Barry said. I find the statement completely unsupported by the record and offensive. Man's mental health state came up at the sentencing. Um, I think it's inappropriate for the state to argue that because we didn't raise mental health as a defense, we can't believe that Miss Mann has mental health issues, said Woodman. I have provided. So this is um, all in, in part of the conversation around what kind of what which prison to send the person to. Um, the state brought up a lack of remorse for Mann during the trial, stating that Mann's main defense was, I strangled her on a different date. Mann read her statement to the court. The first sentence apologized to her partner, but after that, most was about Mann taking, talking about herself. Um, sounds fairly narcissistic. Uh, where, where, although I'm not a uh, medical professional, I'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist, and I cannot diagnose someone. I can't find the, the portion where, um, oh yeah, here we go. The state referenced another case of man's from 2020 in which she took a crowbar out of her car and threatened strangers due to road rage. She was charged with assault with a weapon, but it was reduced to criminal endangerment. Man got a two year deferred sentence and, and was released early on September 28th, 2021. So violence, reduced charges, deferred sentence, um, a lot of this is still within that pandemic window of the mm -hmm. criminal justice system getting absolutely clogged yeah. worse than it already was. Um, but I mean, this is again, you know, a question of victims rights of the criminal justice system, protecting the actual victim of appropriately holding someone accountable for violence. You know, the whole system seems to be really buckling under the weight of how much is actually happening out there in the messy world with, with us messy humans. Right. And again, a question being, are like cases treated alike? If I, I'd be interested to see those sentences compared to similar cases. Yes. <clears throat> and to wrap things up, are counties treated alike? The counties? Uh-huh. Like Missoula County. How is Missoula County treated at the state level? What I'm setting up here is the out the outgoing song. Oh, wait. Can I say one thing oh, yes, before please. you do? Because yes. I have one question about democracy. Okay, please. I it, love questions I, about democracy. I really, really do. Because I remembered what I forgot. I think the answer is way, probably way. no. Or maybe it's yes. So for a long, Ask your question first. <laughs> so for a long time, remember I said a while back, I had a thought. And I forgot it. Yes. And so this whole time it's been buffering in the back of my head and I've had like glimpses of like, oh yeah, that's what I was saying. So I did remember it. Okay, go. Okay. Democracy. When we're talking about city council, we're talking about state legislatures. Wouldn't people say, can't council determine how the money is spent? We're the ones who elected them. Aren't they our representatives? And so who are we now to give rude unfriendly public comments questioning their decisions what would you say to that hmm i would probably get Democratic a ukulele I, I would take a ukulele and i would think of some rhymes and some clever ways of avoiding answering that question is, oh, okay. is probably what i would do 
Okay. It's a real question. Worth food for thought. Food for thought. Food for thought. Perhaps for next week's Week in Review. Okay. Um, so the, the the reason I wanted to mention counties being potential um, black sheeps or redheaded stepchild. I think sheep is plural by itself. I don't think it has an S. You know, we, we've been talking for a long time, and, and I think you're right. I think I think you're correct. What I wanted to point out is that people are going to they're going to hear a song. Um, I think it's a pretty amazing song myself, but I tend to like a lot of my little ukulele tunes a little too much. This one, though, it's about a ban on bands and people be, might when they hear gun, you know, people get very sensitive. And when they hear punish in the same line, they might be like, what is he talking about? Who's punishing what for restricting guns? And so I wanted to give a little bit of context really quickly. Yeah, um, context matters. Context definitely matters. So Missoula County, once upon a time, thought they could restrict something and that they were doing so in good faith and that it was going to be worth doing despite the potential consequences of the political backlash. So what I'm talking about is Missoula County, not even Missoula County. It was the city of Missoula, right? Because you could actually go out to the county and do what they restricted in the city. They banned person-to-person gun transfers. So if you wanted to sell a gun to another person, um, if you wanted to engage in that person-to-person transfer, um, this happens a lot at gun shows, for example. So if you're going to a gun show, it's part of gun culture, um, that's going to be a person-to-person transfer. So this was at one one of those times where city council thought they had to do something. Doing nothing was unacceptable. So, you know, something is better than nothing. Well, in my own cost-benefit analysis, I was writing at the time, hey guys, I don't think you're going to actually do anything like constructive in terms of stopping violence that's being committed by guns by doing this, like restricting the person-to-person transfer. You're probably going to drive business that would have been generated in, in within the city limits in a gun show. You're going to send that out to the county, so fine. But here's the thing. The state of Montana is going to look at Missoula and they're going to be like, that's not only dumb, but we want to punish you for trying to do that. So from my perspective, there has been a ongoing sort of state backlash when it comes to local municipalities getting very passionate about things that um, state state legislators might not have the same feeling. And so even though Republicans, they like to claim small government, local government, you have seen in the last couple sessions, really state conservatives um, restricting the ability of local municipalities to act in the way they they deem necessary. And that's where you get plastic bags being banned. And Stacey Anderson, she can't ban the plastic bags. I think that's why she was so upset with me is that, you know, all of her friends were there about the plastic bag issue. And then, you know, I just kind of rained on the parade. I don't think that's why she was upset. Oh, was it more the content of what I was saying and the tone in which I was saying it? Yeah, I think it was potentially less the message and more how it was communicated. That very well could be. And so and in order to soften my approach, it's now time for a song. And this is a ukulele that you'll hear. It's a, it's a, like a bass ukulele. And it's me singing about a band on bands. Nice. Okay. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you tune in next week for ZoomCron Week in Review. Not just local news, but definitely 
local backlash. <laughs> thank you for tuning in. Allie, thank you for joining me. Thank you. We'll talk next week. Bye now. Well, I hope you enjoy that show, and I hope you don't mind listening to an anti-multimodal radical who likes to show up to city council, even with prepared comments. Sometimes the tone apparently can get you point of order. Well, maybe next time I'll show up with my ukulele and sing this tune. And I'll dedicate it to Stacey Anderson, who truly wants to see those single-use bags banned from use. I hope you win, Stacey. This song is for you. A ban on bands is bad. Montana State, it hurts. We can't ban plastic bags. Is this how government works? You take away our sales tax and punish for restricting guns. Maybe you don't understand. Banned things is lots of fun. Yeah. Let the sheriff do his thing. Hide in private strings. He walks, but it's okay. He won't take bands away. Take away our sales tax and punish for restricting guns. Maybe you don't understand. Banning things is lots of fun. A ban on bad is fine. A ban on too much time. Point of order made. Travis is a crime You take away a sales tax And punish for restricting guns Maybe you don't understand Banning things is lots of fun Yeah Let Professor Hurst claim From the race surveys Where the banning's good And doing what you should Right, Tobin? You take away sales tax And punish for restricting guns Maybe you don't understand Banner things is lots of fun, yeah. A ban on bands is bad. Montana State, it hurts. We can't ban plastic bags. Is this how governments works? We reserve the right to ban you, and we would like the state of Montana to stop not allowing us to ban 
things. A ban on bans is bad. A ban on bad is fine. It makes sense to me. Well, maybe that's just because I like to rhyme. Tune in next week for Zoomcron Week in Review.